Well, we are continuing in our series this morning on habits of spiritual survival, these routines or practices that we as disciples of Christ need to work into our daily lives so that we can survive. Because this is for our spiritual survival. And what we've been doing is then talking about survival. So a survival fire, right? And we're going to stack one log on top of the other to make sure we stay alive. But, but we also talked about how it's for warmth and intimacy and connection with God. So we're building this fire, hopefully building a roaring blaze in your spiritual life. And the very first log, you remember, was the starter log of lordship that's going to set everything else on fire. And then we came along and we asked the question, listen, if it's not a religion, if it's a relationship with God, what do you have to have? Remember, communication. If you don't have communication, you don't have relationship. And communication to be healthy has to be two-way. So we added the log of the word of God, God speaking to us. And then last week, Pastor Jared did an amazing sermon, adding the log of prayer. That's us speaking to God. So we have this two-way communication in our relationship with God. Now, this week, we want to continue with that idea of relationship, of warmth, of connection. Listen, one of the things, if a relationship is really, really dear to you, there must be affection. There must be the expression of affection, but we have a problem with God. You can't hug him. You can't kiss him. How, how in the world are you going to express affection to God? And so the log we're going to stack on the fire this week is worship. It's all about worship today. Now, before I even jump into a definition, I want to just do a brief caveat and make sure we all understand something. A lot of times when people teach on worship, one of the things that's common to teach from the scriptures is that all of life is worship. And indeed, that's absolutely true. But when we talk about all life being worship, that's really under lordship. That was the first log we threw on there. So when I speak about worship this morning, I'm going to particularly be talking about worship as singing. We commonly think of it that way. When we say worship, we think singing. And that's, that's appropriate. Listen, you, you realize it's all over the Old Testament. And, and the Old Testament has a book called Psalms, right? Those are poetry, but it's really lyrics for music that was praise music sung to God. And it's also all over the New Testament. Uh, passages like we see right here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Okay, pause there for a second. That, wait, that's about the word, right? That's about preaching. That's about what I'm doing right now. Oh, but, but look what it says next. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's worship. And we'll particularly speak about that aspect this morning. Now, occasionally from up front, you'll hear myself or Pastor Jared, maybe Pastor Austin, we'll, we'll use the term worship ninja. Have you heard us say that before? Right? Okay. For those of you who are newer to us, <laughs> uh, 
What we use that term to say is it, it, worship ninjas are you sneaky, stealthy people, right? You're not really involved in the breadth of the life of the church. You sneak into services, you sneak out, and we can't possibly catch you, right? You're, that's a worship ninja, right? Now, I'm actually not going to speak about that this morning. That's probably more appropriate to next week when I talk about fellowship. We'll come back to that. But I got to mention this. So one time when I used the term from up front, I said worship ninja. What my dear wife heard me say was worship midget. <laughs> and she freaked out. And, and I'm like, uh, which, by the way, is kind of a funny concept. But um, so I thought about naming this sermon, don't be a worship midget, but then I'd be in big trouble. So I'm not doing that. We're, we're walking away from that. But that's what she heard one time. We are going to talk about worship this morning. As we talk about worship, here's a definition of worship that I, I wrote up this week. It's a, expressing affection to God because of who he is and what he has done. That's what worship is. Expressing affection to God for who he is and what he has done. You may have heard before that the word we have as worship comes from an old English word, worthship. Got contracted, and that's how we say worship today. It's worship, which means we realize, you look at the second part there, because of who he is and what he has done, we realize how incredible, high, holy, lifted up. He's amazing. He is worthy, and then we respond to that with affection toward him. Expressing affection to God because of who he is and what he has done. So when it comes to realizing the very worth of God, I was reminded of a a story I heard a while back about a guy named Rob Cutshaw. He's a, he's a rock hound. By, by that I mean he goes out and he looks for rocks. They're, they're probably not gem quality, but he knows what to look for. And he could find rocks that are like worth at least picking up and he could sell them. He had like a little roadside stone shop outside of Andrews, North Carolina. And he wasn't an appraiser. He'd need a jewelry appraiser for something official on value. But he kind of had a good sense of what might sell Again, to collectors or sometimes like low-scale, low-cost jewelry makers would buy some, some of these stones. And one time, it was about 30 years ago, I think, he was out on a dig, and he found a rock that he described as purdy and big. I said North Carolina, right? Purdy and big. And, his, and it was this big blue rock, and... He, uh, he didn't know what to do with it. He tried unsuccessfully to sell it. Nobody would buy it for the price he wanted, so he put it in a sack and put it under his bed for about 20 years. He thought it would fetch about 500 bucks, uh, but he was willing to part with it for less. Like if somebody was willing to give him cash and he had an electric bill or something, he might have parted with it. Good thing he didn't. Finally, he had it appraised. And what Cutshaw had found was, turned out to be the largest, most valuable sapphire ever, ever, okay? It's now called the Star of David Sapphire. It weighs about a pound, and it's worth approximately $2.75 million, 500 bucks. Here's a question for you. After he realized its worth, do you think Cutshaw put it in a sack under his bed? No. Realizing the absolute value of what it was, he responded differently to it. And actually, Moses had a moment like that. 
when he realized exactly the worth of his God. If you remember, Moses uh, had an experience with God where he said, God, I, I want to see your glory. And God's like, if I do that, it'll kill you. Like, I'm just too overwhelming. And so he hides Moses in this cleft of a rock. And we'll pick up the story in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 8. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. He worshipped. See, worship begins with a realization of exactly who God is and what he has done, how worthy his worship is, and then it flows into a response of affection that is worship. It's expressing affection to the one who is worthy. And you see that with Moses, right? He got a full picture of who God is, and boom, he goes to the ground and worships God. The worship of God demands a response of worship. So listen, if I'm going to do a sermon on worship... I'm not going to start off in the direction you might think I'd go. I'm actually going to start off by just talking about who God is. And of course, he is all-knowing, and he is all-wise, and he is infinite, and he is eternal. He is mind-blowing in all those things. But what's interesting to note, when God reveals himself to Moses, that's not what he talks about. If you look at it, he, he says that he is a God who is loving and merciful, and gracious, and forgiving. But he's also a God who's just. He, justice belongs to God. Now how in the world is God going to maintain justice and forgive? It's impossible until the cross of Jesus Christ. He's an amazing, mind-blowing God. And so his love and his justice meet at the cross. But this is who God is. And when Moses gets a peek of that, boom, he drops in worship. He has a response. That's worship. I often, whenever I think about the greatness of God, my mind often goes to his power revealed in creation. I thought about reading a longer passage. I'll, I'll be merciful to you this morning. But uh, Isaiah 40, verse 12. Write that down. Isaiah 40, verse 12. You're just going to start there. Go through verse 26. Go as far as you want. But it's a passage that speaks about the amazing power of our creator God. That he spoke and created it all. Listen, as we're in awe of our God this morning, God's creative energy is not just awe-inspiring power, but think about it. It's also beauty, creativity, variety. When we look out at his creation, we don't just see a flower, we see incredible variety in flowers, right? Different trees, 
all wild different kinds of animals. Landscapes. We have not only mountains, but we have beaches. He's a, a fruit, all the different kind of fruit. Think of the different tastes and the different smells. He didn't have to do any of that. That's in who he is. He's beautiful. He's creative. He's amazing that way. And his creation, the scriptures tell us, responds to him in worship. Like the created order, the scriptures talk about how rivers and trees clap their hands. The, the sky, so the stars and the planets are pouring forth speech. They're speaking of the glory of God right now. Right now. The mountains and the hills and the meadows and the valleys, they sing for joy to God. The created order is worshiping God right now. And as part of that, part of the created order is the angelic order, angels. And right this moment, always, for all eternity, angels will be calling out to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. An unbroken string of praise from both creation and the angels. And then the question is, do we take our rightful place as human beings? I love the old hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. You familiar with this thing? Here's part of it. It says, All thy works with joy surround thee. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee. Center of unbroken praise. Think about that line. That's your God. The center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea, singing bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Then a little bit later in the song, it says, mortals, that's us, here we are, mortals join the happy chorus which the morning stars began. Let me ask you a question. If like Moses... You had a moment of clarity, kind of a breakthrough moment where you truly grasp the exact grandeur of exactly who God is. What do you think you'd do? That's worship. That's worship. When you really realize who he is and what he is like and what he has done with us, then, for us, then, then what we do is we take up our rightful place alongside the angels, alongside the morning stars, and we express affection to the center of unbroken praise, God himself. Now, what does that look like? Because if you think about the definition I gave you, so far I've been looking at that second half of who he is and what he has done. But then what I'm saying is that leads to an expression of affection to our God. What does that look like? Have you ever looked at your lover and just become absolutely undone? You know, like adoration is just gushing out of you and you can't hold it back. Sometimes worship is like that. But then, let's be honest, like every moment of marriage is not like that, right? So sometimes, have you ever looked at your lover 
Maybe you're not undone at the moment. Maybe you're on your way out the door, headed to work, and you say, I love you. Sometimes worship is like that. (laughs) But have you ever heard the joke about the husband who never tells his wife that he loves her? You've heard this, right? He said, hey, I told her on the day we got married, and if it changes, I'll let her know. It's a funny joke. The sad part of it is this, that for a lot of Christians, worship is like that. And that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. So I have some suggestions for you about how we can engage with God in this way and express our affection in our relationship to our God. And the first one is that we sing our affection to him during these Sunday morning worship services. Maybe that seems obvious to you. But but granted, listen, it doesn't have to be in a church building. You know that, right? Moses was on a mountainside. But God does speak in his word about the necessity of corporate worship in our lives for our spiritual survival. So this is quite appropriate. But notice what it says, sing your affection to God. What I want you to do when we're gathering here and you're singing, I want you to sing to God. Last week, Pastor Jared, as he spoke about prayer, he said prayer is simply talking to God. Remember that? He said don't overcomplicate it. Worship is prayer that you're singing. Don't overcomplicate it. Make sure that you are singing to your God. Now some of you say, but I can't sing. And that's not true. Everybody can sing. You just can't sing well. (laughs) And that's why we turn the music up really loud. (laughs) And I am with you in that. Pastor Jared can sing. I cannot. I cannot. So we crank the music. But listen, parents, think of this. Parents, did you ever catch one of your young kids singing in the house somewhere? Right? And maybe in another, and so you crept up on the doorway, and you're not going to like let them know you're there, but you're, you're creeping on them, right? You're, you're listening in. And your heart just swells. And listen, your kid's probably not going to make it on American Idol. Right? And yet, you absolutely love their singing. It's fantastic. It has the sincerity of a little kid. And if somebody made fun of them, you'd slap them silly, right? That's my kid, and their singing is so precious. You love it because they're your kid, because their sincerity of heart gushing out of them, it's fantastic. And I'll tell you what, I think that's how God feels about our singing and worship. It's not about being on American Idol. It's about being his kids and singing out affection to our God. And so on these Sunday morning times, I want you to sing like nobody is listening but God himself. Freed from the opinion of others, free to worship your God. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out. And by the way, men, men, I particularly mean you. Now, listen, it seems like in our culture, singing comes more naturally to our women. I know there's lots of exceptions on both sides of the gender thing on that. I get that. I know there's lots of exceptions. But if you think about it, when babies are born, who more naturally sings to the baby? It's often our moms. Not always, but, but most often comes more naturally. And so what happens is we as men, we tend to pull back, and particularly from singing in public in worship, right? But men, we got to lead in worship. When my, I hope I get through this, when my kids were growing up, 
I had a habit. If they ever, when they were young, if they ever came into worship service with me and then we were standing in worship, sometimes what I'd do is I'd sit down in the chair and I'd put one of my kids right in front of me so I'd sing past their ear. Because I, I desperately want them to know what it sounds like when daddy worships Jesus. And men don't deny the church your voice. Don't deny your family your voice. Okay, we've got to lead in worship. It's about as good as I could hope getting through that. So, all right. So we got to sing our affection to our God in worship services. Now, the second thing is this. It's with both spirit and truth. That is head and heart. Okay, spirit and truth. Now, I get that from John chapter 4, verse 23. This is where Jesus was speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that? And they ended up kind of starting a, a debate. Like, don't debate Jesus. But she started a debate about worship. And here's what he said in the midst of it. He said, but an hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. All right, think what Jesus just said. Jesus was just crystal clear about what kind of worshipers God the Father wants. And I think, well, you know what? Why don't we take a few moments and look into that? That sounds interesting. And it's spirit and truth. It's both heart and it's head. Let's, let's take a moment and let's start with spirit. I absolutely agree with the biblical scholars who say this is a reference to our spirit that we bring into worship, not to the Holy Spirit. Though, no doubt, for us to do it right, to have the right spirit, it's only possible through the Holy Spirit. Legit. But this is a response to the spirit we bring into worship. And it should be a spirit of connection with God, of affection, of passion, not a spirit of entertainment or criticism. Entertainment and criticism, these are worship killers. Entertainment's where we come in and we say, let's see what kind of show the band can put on for us today. And folks, listen, they're here to lead us into worship. It's only valuable to the degree that we worship. It's not a show entertainment orientation or a spirit of criticism where we come away, well, I don't really like how they did this or how they did that. And sometimes that's, that's church. Entertainment and criticism, and those are landmines. You step on them, they destroy worship. Unfortunately, if we're not careful, we come in to be entertained and we go out to criticize on the way home. Right? You giggle because it's true. And you thought I didn't know, <laughs> but I do. But that's not the spirit God's looking for. Instead, we should have a spirit of worship that is affection, that is passion, it's heart. It's not only that I sing, but I mean it. I don't fake it. I really feel it. I stand before my God, the one true God, the only God. And I bear my life before him and I bow my heart before him. And that is a spirit of worship. And when a group of Christians gather together and do that, oh, it's electric. 
It's electric. But don't miss this. Just because we gather in a building that we call a church building, and just because we sing here doesn't mean we worship. There's got to be a spirit to it of connecting with our God. And that means we might be expressive in worship. You might clap. You might shout, whistle, kneel. Maybe you're in silent awe. I don't know. (laughs) Some of you just got really uncomfortable, right? And you're like, well, listen, I don't do that. I don't do expression like that. And then you go to a football game. Or you go to a concert of your favorite musician and your body's all moving, right? Like you're, like, I, I guess you do that, don't you? You just made a liar out of yourself. You do that. It's only a question of what moves you to do that. Now, a common way of expressing affection to God is raising hands during worship. If you thought you were uncomfortable already, here we go. So, um... Raising hands in worship. Some of you got really uncomfortable right now. I call you the frozen chosen, but I love you. I love you, right? And Gary, sometimes there'll be some lyrics that speak about raising hands, right? And if that's not bad enough, every once in a while, Gary Durbin has the audacity, right? And he'll, he'll stand here and he'll say something like, church, let's raise our hands and sing this to God. And some of you are ticked in that moment. You get, you get extra stiff. And I think what happens on the inside is you're saying, why don't you put down your guitar music, boy, and come down here and try to make me, right? (laughs) Listen, if it's foreign to your experience, let me help you understand why Christians raise their hand in worship. It's because we can't hug God. It's an expression of affection to God. It is a spirit of surrender before our God. We are reaching out. We're lifting him up. We're engaging with our God. And oh, by the way, it's biblical. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. The the, the image there is in worship. Like my soul is so parched. I just, like a land that is dry and arid and just desires water, reaches out for water. I'm reaching out for my God. I need him. I need him. It's biblical. Now, whether you raise your hands or something else as a means of expression, I don't care. But what I want is I want you to quit worrying about the people around you. And there's two ways we commit this mistake. Sometimes by focusing on the people around us, what we do is we're not free, we're not expressive at all. Or sometimes by focusing on the people around us, we're showy. Because we're putting on a performance for the people around us. And we're actually, sometimes we become distracting. Look at me. Look at me worship Jesus. Right? Okay, either way, you're making the mistake of focusing on the people around you. I said worship is expressing affection to God. Right? So focus on your God. Right? Like, like you would if you're on, out on a date. If married, I still go on dates with my wife. You're out on a date with your lover and you focus on that person, 
Should we think of God that way? He's the lover of your soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, I want you to hear this clearly. We were never created for an affectionless relationship with God. Never. Never. There's a great example of what this worship can look like. I don't think it even involves singing, actually. Found in Luke chapter 7, where this sinful woman worships Jesus. What actually was happening is Jesus was invited to dinner, and they would, uh, dinner back then was a low table, and they'd lay prostrate, and the table in the middle, that's relevant later. But anyway, uh, so he's at a Pharisee's house. Talk about the frozen chosen, right? And they, they were not expressing any affection to Jesus for who he is, or what he had done, what he would do. This woman invades. She's a party crasher. In that culture, men only. No women. Uh-uh. She doesn't care. She's being reckless. Why? She's got to be near Jesus. She doesn't care. She barges in. She loves Jesus so much, she's weeping. Her tears are falling on his feet. She takes her hair and wipes his feet off. Then she takes out very expensive ointment and anoints his feet. Her worship is reckless. But she's just in awe of her Lord. And, and she can't check it. She can't keep it back. Like emotion is gushing out of her. She knew who she, she was looking at. She knew who he was. She knew what he was coming to do. She was just in awe of the forgiveness that he had already put into her life. And she did not care about those around her. She wasn't focusing on those around her. Oh, they focused on her. They were quite rude to her. They shamed her. She didn't care. She was here for Jesus. Now listen, if you never taste worship like that, either you don't know who Jesus is or you're just not that impressed with what he's done for you. Worship is expressing affection to God because of who he is and what he has done. Now listen, God doesn't want perfect worship. Okay, if he did, he would have chosen perfect people, but he didn't. He chose you and me, okay? So he didn't want perfect people. What he wants is sincere worship, sincere heartfelt worship from the messy but redeemed. From us, his kids. And he loves the sound of it. He wants to hear our affection expressed to the one who loved our souls. That is the spirit we must bring into worship. But remember, Jesus said spirit and truth. Look back at the passage, spirit and truth. So, some of my most emotional times in worship might surprise you. It's actually when I was in seminary, and you're like, whoa, did they have a great band there? Don't know. I was actually in an apartment that I shared with my wife, and we were both taking classes, and I was reading a thick theology textbook, getting a bigger view of my awe-inspiring God, and I was undone. At a moment, like that woman who crashed that party, I was just undone electrified as I took on a bigger picture of God. Listen, that is truth. That's truth. Perhaps your worship is weak because your God is too small. 
Perhaps your worship is weak because your God is too small. And that is why I have already spent some time in this sermon before talking about worship. We just talked about God, the worthy one. Done that already. So it's spirit and truth. But notice there's got to be a balance between these. A balance between heart and head. See, worship involves the centering of your heart's affection and your mind's attention on God himself. And there becomes a balance. To to tease out the balance, let's let's talk about the extremes. So you have the frozen chosen, right? They get truth. They love truth. They have no spirit. It is emotionless. And then on the other extreme, we'll call them the charismaniacs. Notice I didn't say charismatics. Very different. I'm talking about extremes right now, right? Extremes. And so over here, what you have is it's all spirit. There's no truth. And it's emotionalism. Emotionless. Emotionalism. God wants spirit and truth. He wants both. He wants both. That, those are the worshipers who the Father is seeking. All right, one more suggestion for you then, and it's this. Uh, it's build a habit of personal worship. Remember, we are talking during this series of your personal habits, the things you do on your own in your discipleship to Jesus, and this should be a habit in your life, not just on Sunday mornings. How do you do that? It was a period in my life I took, I printed off old hymns, stapled them together, made a big packet of it, and I would go hide away in my house and just sing to my God. He liked the sound of it. He's a gracious God. But I'd sing to him, or sometimes I didn't feel like singing, I'd just read it. I'd just read it and worship to my God. Another uh, option that you have is if you go on our website, uh, Gary has made available a lot of our worship music, the songs that we just introduced, the songs we just did this week, or uh, Spotify lists, whatever, uh, so that you don't just do these songs on Sunday morning, but you get it as a habit into your life. Sometimes I'll be driving along in my truck singing these songs, and I'm undone, and i got to pull over. Another resource I would suggest to you is this book right here. It's called The Valley of Vision. Now you see the subtitle is, says, A Collection of Puritan Prayers and Devotions. Well, that sounds riveting. In this book, we will watch paint dry and have exciting interludes of watching the grass grow. Like, it just sounds boring, doesn't it? But it's not. I keep this one in my office. I, sometimes if I have the chance, I'll, I'll read just one of these prayers at lunch. And, and again, I'm undone. Because they center on who God is and what he has done. And affection gushes out of me. There's another resource for you. By the way, if you want to get to that, uh, Heidi Lee talked about our recommended reading list. That's on our website. You can get to it that way. But here's what I want you to catch. As we're talking about a habit 
in your own personal life, you can't flip a switch. You, you just can't. Worshiping God on Sunday mornings flows naturally from a life of personal worship, a habit that on your own. And the more you live there Monday through Saturday, the more we come in here on Sunday and it just explodes. That's what I want for you. And the reason I want it for you is because we need to worship people. We need. We need to worship. God doesn't need our worship. God desires our worship. Listen, the pagan idols, they had the concept that the reason they would worship their pagan little G God is because that fed the God. And if they didn't worship, the God didn't eat. What a pitiful God! Like, I'm not worshiping that. Are you kidding me? Like, he needs me to feed him? That is such a poor, scrawny little God. Our God, the one true God, does not need your worship. We need to worship. Why? Because it does something in us. It recenters us. It realigns us. It reorders our loves, our heart, because we got all these different passions that are out of order. We come into worship and they get realigned. It reorders our heart and we come away changed. We need to worship. This is something for your spiritual survival. And that's why we've switched the service around this morning. We have plenty of time after the sermon so that we can practice what was just preached. And I don't want you to hold back. Listen, it's not black or white. It's not the extremes. Everybody is somewhere along that scale. I want you to take a step forward in worship today during this time, okay? Now, instead of a closing prayer, I'm actually going to read from Psalm 95 as the band comes on out and starts to retake the stage. Do this for me. Stand with me, if you will. If you want to look up at the screen, great. If you want to close your eyes, fine, but just listen. Listen. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Okay, so that's a call to affection expressed in worship. Why? Here it is. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. In his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his land. People, he is our God. That's our God. He's a God worthy of worship, worthy of our affection right now. He is the lover of your soul. So don't you hold back. Let's sing out to him together.